Well, amen. Good morning, church. <clears throat> God is good all the time because that's just his nature. Amen. You have your Bibles this morning open to Matthew chapter 20. Good music this morning, getting us ready to sing in heaven. Matthew chapter 20, it's a parable Jesus spoke, and we're going to look at that parable. And while you're finding it, easy to find in the Gospel of Matthew, let me just say a few things about the parable. While I'm standing out here on the porch, allowing you time to let me in the living room of your heart. It's the only parable, I mean, it's only found in Matthew. Uh, I don't know that any of these things are highly significant in themselves, but uh, it is called by some commentary uh, scholars, it's one of the greatest and, more, and most glorious of all Jesus' parables. Uh, Gregory called it the wallflower of all parables. It is agreed by most scholars to be the most controversial parable that Jesus spoke. We're going to discover this morning that this parable has words of warning. It has words of admonition, words of instruction. Uh, and uh, it will help us understand some things. Now, I'm going to be speaking mostly today to insiders like myself, and you'll understand that as we read the parable. We're going to understand in this parable about who God really is. The older I get, the more I've come to understand one of our biggest problems is that we don't really understand what God's like. And we're going to see here in this parable His outrageous grace now, we call it outrageous, and it is. It is amazing, and it is. But sometimes it can be, ex it can be uh, frustrating. We'll see that in this parable. You found it? Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be challenged today about the upside-down world we live in. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading New King James. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with them, the laborers, for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And then he went out about the third hour, which respectively is around nine, the third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever's right, I'll give to you. So they went. And then in verse 5, he went out about the sixth hour, which would have been uh, noon. We got, uh, we got some at noon now. And he said to them, uh, and the ninth hour, which would be around 5 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock. And then in verse 6, about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? I said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go also in the vineyard and whatever's right you'll receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last unto the first. 
And when those came, he hired about the 11th hour, they received their Daenerys. Now, all right, now hold my place before we get to but when. Pretty easy to understand so far. Man went to the marketplace, which in that day would be the like going to the unemployment office. He'd go to the gates of the city. There were these workers standing around, people who wanted to work. <clears throat> so he hired them, put them in the field about six in the morning. Then he hired some more at nine. Then he hired some more at noon. Then he hired some more at three. Then he hired some more at 5 p.m., quitting time six. So all of these people go into the field to labor. Obviously, he was behind, so he sent them all out. He needed all the workforce. So pretty clean cut, easy to understand. Shifts come in, beginning at 6, all the way to 5 p.m. Now payday comes. Let's get to the but when in verse 10. But when the first came, now they were hired at the 11th hour at 5 p.m. They worked for an hour. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, uh, <clears throat> the first when they came, but when they received a Daenerys. And each one had received, and they complained against the landowner. We, we, we following along here? Everybody got paid the same. So the ones that hired in at six complained. Uh, I looked this up in some other versions I like uh, the message said, grossly, I mean, grossly angered. Uh, Phillips called it grumbled. King James says murmured. So we got some unhappy workers here. We got some people that said, God, <clears throat> pardon me, we'll get to the God part in a minute. Sir, we work from five until six and they work for an hour. And they got paid the same thing as we did. That's not fair. Have you ever had an experience in your life that you didn't think God was dealing fairly with you? Well, we'll get there in a minute. But look at verse 14. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do uh, uh, let, me, friend, let, me, let me get back to that verse. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? H have you ever seen a situation in your life where it seemed like that God wasn't fair and you question his goodness and God's saying here, I am a God of goodness and grace. Can I not do with my grace what I want to? We'll get involved in this story in a minute. And now look at verse 16. For the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. That's a hard verse right there. I mean, that's one of those verses you gotta stop, lock in the front hubs. You got to get in four-wheel drive to get in that verse. We'll see what we can do with it in just a minute. Now, why did Jesus say that? The last shall be first and the first shall be last, and many are called, but they're chosen. 
how do we understand this parable as it talks about the goodness of God, the grace he bestows, and how God distributes his goodness and grace? How do we, how do we understand that? Well, in order to understand this parable and take a step forward, we need to take two or three steps backward into chapter 19. Look at the last verse in chapter 19. It ends in chapter 19, just like it ended in this parable in 20 verse uh, 16. But many who are first will be last and the last first. He reversed those orders, but the principle is still the same. There are two questions in chapter 19 we've got to ponder in order to understand this. The first question we see in verse 27, Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Now, why did Peter ask him that? Peter said, Lord, we've given up everything. We left fathers and mothers and family and boats and everything, and we followed you. Uh, colloquially here, what's in it for us? Why did Peter ask that? Well, if you back up just a little bit further, you'll find the story you're familiar with. We don't have to read it. You know it's a rich young ruler. And he asked Jesus a question as well. Look there in verse 16. He came and said, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? Now, Jesus explained to him, and the bottom line is, you know the story, he walked away sad because he had great possessions. The rich young ruler was forced with a decision. He measured things out. He didn't really know everything he needed to know about the invisible world, but he looked into the visible world of all of his treasures and all of those things, and based on that, he made a decision. It was a poor decision. He recognized it because the Bible says he went away sad. It was an eternal decision that he made. Now, this is, uh, he made a choice uh, not to enter the kingdom of God because what he saw around him, he valued more than the invisible things that Jesus had to offer him. Are you tracking with me? Now, this is a message for another time. Many of you know <clears throat> I'm working on a, a book out of Proverbs on how to find the path that God has for you. And here's one of the themes I found, a thread that flows all the way through the book of Proverbs. I know we think it's just a collection of pithy sayings about this, that, and the other, but there's a thread, there's several of them, but this is one of the threads, and here it is. Decisions determine direction. Direction determines destination, and destination determines destiny. You'll never reach the destiny that you were born to know unless you begin with the right decisions. Now, this man made the wrong decision, rich young ruler. Let's leave him now and let this bring us to this whole context. The rich young ruler, bad decision, and he, he walked away from God. Therefore, they said, Lord, who can enter the kingdom? Jesus gave this other word, said, rich men, it's going to be hard for him to get into heaven. It'd be harder than a camel going through the eye of the needle deal. And Peter goes, well, then who can be saved? We've left all. So you seeing the context roll right here? And so Peter asked him this question, and Jesus gives words of instruction and warning through this parable that we have just read. 
And this controversial parable is given to reveal the true nature of the kingdom of God. Wherever I go, wherever the Lord opens doors around the world, and my main focus now is training leaders uh, through my, the organization, the ministry called Leaders Building Leaders, building leaders. To, I'm, we're, I'm preaching to them. I'm instructing them. I'm doing all I can to open a curtain so their eyes can see what the kingdom of God is like. It's not, I'm, I, I'm Baptist. I'm like Evie Hill said, if you weren't a Baptist, what would you be? And he said, ashamed of myself. And I'm kind of that way. I'm, I'm a Baptist and I'm not ashamed of that. And, I, and I'm not ashamed to identify with that. But there's a kingdom that's so much bigger than Baptists. So much bigger than our, our little kingdoms, small k. Our little empires. There's so much bigger than that. And Jesus is trying to help them that day and us to see that kingdom. And we also see in this parable, his outlandish, exuberant, expensive, generous, radical, outrageous, and sometimes exasperating grace. Have you discovered that it's good and you enjoy singing about God's amazing grace when it flows your way? But sometimes when it flows somebody else's way, it gets exasperating. We love it when grace is headed our way. But when somebody else, some 11th hour Johnny come lately, he becomes a recipient or she of God's grace, we get a little, God, is this a fair thing going on here? Now this parable is not about economics. It's not about how to, play your, how to pay your employee your employees. It's, it's not about, uh, it, if this parable were, were in the university, when, when I had the privilege for eight years of teaching adjunct at UNA, I loved it. And I taught some religious courses there. Uh, th this parable would not be in the economic building. It would be in the political science, history and political science where, where we taught the religion courses. This parable is not about a ledger or, or anything like that. This parable is helping us understand and to enjoy your place, my place, our place in this upside down kingdom. That's what, that's what verse 30 of chapter 19 is all about. That's what verse 16 of chapter 20 is all about. The kingdom of God, the invisible kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom we live in every day, okay? We don't call our republic, democratic republic, we don't, call, we don't have a king or a queen. So we don't live in like a kingdom, we live in a democracy, but it's still the same. It's the kingdoms of the world. And what we live, and you learn, we learn to operate in the world, the culture, the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdom of God is upside down from that. The kingdom of God where Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. This parable helps us understand that. But also, it helps us to embrace the generous, outrageous grace that flows from the Father's heart. Now, 
we have some lessons to learn here, but before I get to them, let's just make sure we understand where we fit in this parable. Because since this parable is included in the Bible and God the Holy Spirit inspired it and God the Holy Spirit preserved it and now we have it here, it is not just for those who heard the parable standing around Jesus' feet. It is for us today. Most of us are like Peter and the early hired people in this parable. We're insiders. We've been around. We've been saved for a long time. We've been in church a long time. And we're insiders to this whole God thing. And what happens is we get surprised from time to time, appalled by who God allows in his kingdom. And we wouldn't say it publicly, but we think, if I'd have been God, I wouldn't have saved him. We get amazed. We get frustrated on who God might heal and who God might not heal. I could spend, I could spend a lot of time talking to you about that from my personal experience. And I had tendencies to think, God, if I'd, have been, if I'd have been you, I wouldn't have done that right. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have healed that guy. He, he's just going to go back to drinking. I'd have healed that guy. He's a gospel preacher. Sometimes grace doesn't make sense for earth dwellers. The tendency to resent some outsider, some 11th hour Johnny come lately who just waltzes in and God opens the door to the kingdom and welcomes him and takes him into his embrace. You, you might not be this honest, but I know what many of you are thinking. I, I came across this in my reading. One honest saint so God, I've been a Bible-believing, church-attending, nose-to-the-grindstone Christian all my life. Surely that must count for something. Then someone comes along into the vineyard after wasting much of their life in the world. They go straight past go and collect $200 on the basis of nothing more than the grace of God. There are some people who enter the vineyard at the 11th hour and God treats them the same as me and I've been here since 6 a.m. Who do they think they are? I got a better question to you. Who do you think God is? Hmm? That's when our, our how big is your God gets challenged because we don't understand those big things. What do we think God's really like? So we tend to be like those early laborers who grumble against grace, grumble, complain. It's imperfect tense, which means it went on. It wasn't punctilier action. It was a process. And like Peter, what's in it for me? Debbie and I had a dear precious friend, I guess it's been close to a year now, who died of COVID. We were in seminary together back in the 70s. And her and her husband were from North Alabama here area, just like we were. And they became precious friends over the years and she died of COVID. We went to her funeral and at her funeral, her granddaughter spoke and her granddaughter said, bathed in many tears, one day 
I forget what her pet name was for, but one day me and my grandmother were out shopping and she said, I, I felt a moment of honesty come on me and I confessed to her and I said, Grandmother, I'm having some problems with jealousy, some other people. And said, I never will forget her response. Her response was, well, darling, I've never had a problem when God's been good to somebody else. Unfortunately, most of us have. Oh, we enjoy grace when it flows our way. But when we see someone we've deemed less desirable, uh, yet they get that grace, that goodness of God, that mercy, it causes us to raise some holy or unholy eyebrows. Rich young ruler made a bad choice. He was an outsider. But the insiders didn't understand the outlandish grace of God. Wonder what, I, I know when everybody gets to heaven, they're going to be perfect, but wonder what the martyred saints in heaven thought when the thief on the cross came strolling in. And by the way, I'll do a little of it here, but you ought to Google it sometime and just Google sermon, man on the middle cross. Could you imagine a man on the middle cross walking into heaven? <clears throat> and the angel says, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? And he'd say, I, I don't know. Well, what did you do to get here? And he said, I, I didn't do anything. Well, we, we need to talk with you a little bit more. We, we need to make sure that we're clear on what is your view of justification by faith. I, I've never heard of it in my life. Well, were, how, how long did you attend church? I've never been in church in my life. Well, what makes you think you can come in here? He said, all I know. I was swearing and cussing with my buddy and the man on the middle cross said, I would be here today. You see, when we begin talking about our salvation and it's all in first person, I repented, I confessed, I asked God, I did this, I, we're missing the point of redemption. It's second person. He did this. He did that. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. John Wesley was kicked out of an English pulpit for preaching about the outlandish grace of God. He became a street preacher. And here's what he said. There are few matters more repugnant to reasonable people than the grace of God. And we love singing about it. We love talking about it. But that's because we know it's coming our way. But there are other people that receive God's grace and it is amazing. Now, what are our lessons here? What are the lessons we learn? Lesson number one, there's a call here to recognize. There is a kingdom of God and the kingdom has a king and the king operates his kingdom based on grace. He is a generous king. 
of goodness and grace. And the only way to relate to him is based on grace. Whatever you received, whenever you received it, however you received it, it was never a payment or a reward for anything you did, but a generous gift of grace. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Several years ago, I was on the mission field in South Africa and I had something happen that I'm not gonna take time to explain because it'd take too long and I don't have it and I'm afraid you'd misunderstand me if I did. But suffice it to say, God just chose to favor me in a, in a certain way. And I was humbled. I was, uh, I just, after it was over, I, I, I just, I was, I was talking to the Lord and I said, blessed are you, Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the ruler of the world, the king of worlds we don't even know about. I, I didn't deserve that. And it was then I felt the spirit whisper in my heart, son, deserve has nothing to do with it. Deserve has nothing to do with it. If there's anything you think you deserve, then grace is not involved. Grace is not involved. You will never, ever receive anything from God apart from grace through faith. That's how the kingdom of God operates. I found that out in my experience. I've tried to play on God's sympathy many times. Oh, God, if you don't come through, you're going to lose a good preacher. Oh, God, please. God doesn't bow to sympathy. He knows a lot about compassion, but he doesn't, he doesn't play the sympathy game. He doesn't bow to bargain. Oh, God, if you'll just do this for me, I'll do this for you for the rest of my life. You don't have anything to offer him. In a bargain, you got to have something the other party wants. You don't have anything God needs. I don't have anything God needs. He doesn't, the economy of God does not operate on sympathy or merit or deserve or bargain. It only operates on grace. The currency of the kingdom of God is grace. Second lesson is, there's a command here to relate. Kingdom citizens are required to relate to one another based on grace. Peter had a problem in chapter 19. He said, well, can't you just see the superiority in that? Well, we've left all. Here's a rich young ruler, walked away sad. Artists have depicted that, how, how sad and he slumped over he was as he walked away. Tried to depict that in their, with their paint and brush. He walked away sad because he made the wrong decision. Well, that's sad, but not, it's not even as, I'll tell you something that's more sad or sadder, saddest. Whatever. Here's Peter over there with his nose in the air. Well, we're not like him. We've left everything. What's in it for us? And if you've never been like Peter there in that passage before, well, let me just tell you this. You have been. You just may didn't see it. I have. All of us have. 
God saved somebody. I mean, I'm just this nice little clean 10-year-old boy. Got saved when I was a young boy. Never did kill anybody. Never raped anybody. Never stole anything. And then I've met people in my life in ministry that have done all those things and more. And you have a tendency to say, well, you know, God, God loves me more because I didn't do all that stuff. It doesn't take any more of the grace of God to save a reprobate. It, it took as much grace to save me as a 10-year-old boy as it does a reprobate. So we can look down our holy noses at people and, uh, well, there's a whole lot there. Look, look at this next one. What about the early workers who felt entitled and grumbled against the landowner and the other workers especially the 11th hour Johnny-come-lately kind of people, and there's resentment and jealousy. Now, I got to move on from this point because this is a whole sermon in itself. Those of us who've been in church all our life, somehow we get, we don't mean it. We, we didn't, there wasn't any meanness hold about this thing, but because we're just like our forefathers, Adam and Noah and all these guys, we develop a sense of, in, of entitlement about the church. We've been here longer. This is my seat. This is my classroom. I, I never will forget one time, one of the most spiritual ladies in my church. We were growing. We needed, we had, they had a nice big Sunday school room, and uh, it was a nice room. And there was a class that was growing more than them, and I asked them to swap rooms. Well, Lord have mercy. You, I thought I had just walked into a panther fight, and I was not equipped for it. She let me know right off. I mean, she was the most spiritual. I mean, I was shocked. I really was. She let me know in no uncertain terms that they weren't giving up their Sunday school room. I mean, they'd already bought their own little cushions in a chair and all that hung their own pictures on the wall. We, we get a little entitled and then somebody comes walking in. They don't know, come here from Sikkim. They just, an old, they don't, they don't understand anything. God saves them, as the old country preacher said, all over more than anywhere else. They get saved and all of a sudden they're on fire and we're not careful. There can be a little resentment toward that. A little jealousy toward that, a little envy for, toward their fire that you may have once had but don't have anymore. There's a lot can be said here, but we don't have the time. But suffice it to say, the only way <clears throat> you can relate to God is through grace. And the best and the prescribed, God-directed, commanded way we relate to one another is through grace. And when we stop relating to one another through grace, everything gets sideways. I mean, things get wrapped around the axle in a hurry. You have bad feelings, you have resentments, people get mad, people cause this little huddle over here and all that kind of stuff. And there gets to be unhappiness in the church. And it all boils down because we're not relating to one another by grace. Now, final lesson here. There is a call to recognize the 
His kingdom operates by grace. There is a command to relate to others by grace. And anytime, by the way, before I miss, anytime you and someone else in the church are having some friction, they may not do this, but that's okay. You're not responsible for them. You're responsible for yourself. Just stop and ask yourself, am I, am I, am I, am I dealing with this by grace? If you're dealing with by, by law, the law may be on your side, but it won't solve the problem. It won't solve the problem. The third lesson is this. There's a challenge to receive. The kingdom of God spreads through grace. For many are called, but few are chosen. I've studied that and studied that, <clears throat> walked away from it, came back to it, walked around, looked at it from every single, and I ended up having to come out where D.L. Moody came out. For many are called, but few are choice. Few get it. I hope you're involved mentally and spiritually with our pastor's study now on the call, what it means for God to call. But there's a lot of people that God's put his finger on, his call on, but they don't get it. The kingdom does not spread by violence. The crusaders didn't understand that. It doesn't, it doesn't spread through human effort. If it had, <clears throat> every last person would have been saved. It doesn't spread through materialism. We can build churches and Ephesus and cathedrals that are masterpieces of art, art and architect. But the kingdom spreads when a gracious God works through us and his grace flows through us to someone else. But by grace alone, through faith, and that not of yourself. Luther said of this <clears throat> when he wrote his 95 thesis and nailed them to the church door and the Reformation began. The true treasure of the church, the most holy gospel, is the grace of God. And this treasure, referring to this verse, verse 16, this treasure is most odious for it makes the first to be last. Grace is good, but it can stink if you got the wrong attitude and don't understand first, last, last, first. Now, so what? This is the, what does, that, what does that mean to me? Well, it means this. If you're an outsider, you've not responded to the grace of God because something deep down inside of you say, I don't deserve that. I got good news for you. You're right. You don't. And if you're waiting where you feel better about deserving it, it's not going to happen. You've got to understand. I don't understand. I don't, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything God could do to, for me. But bless God, I'm going to receive it. If you're an insider and you're stuck on some level in your Christian life and you can't push through to the next level, you're not making any progress. You keep trying and trying and trying and think, well, maybe if I just do this, <clears throat> you know, like I was watching a kid one day, I don't do this. He's playing a video game. I said, what's the point? He said, well, to get point through is you do all this and a, and a door opens up and you go to another room. 
I said, oh, okay. What, what happens there? Well, you do this and the door opens up and you go to another room. And I said, oh, okay. Well, so I got the point. He just kept on trying to get into more rooms, get into the highest room. Well, everybody in this room, everybody in this building is in a room in your Christian level. I don't know what level you're on. And it doesn't make any difference. But you need to be on the next level. And if you're hung in one level, you can't figure that thing out, well, I got good news for you. That's a good place to start. It's, a, it, it's grace. It'll never happen with you trying. Grace has nothing to do with deserve. Maybe God's, the Holy Spirit is, brought into your mind today some awareness of some jealousies you've had, maybe some resentment you've had. Maybe you've looked at someone else and they're more spiritual than you are and you don't think that looks right. Maybe you think God's been a little unfair to you. Some others hadn't worked as hard as you have. They didn't enter the field at six in the morning in fact, they came at noon. Two or three of them just came at five. And that's got you a little wrapped around the axle. Now would be a real good time. Say, God, thank you for helping me understand that. Right now, I'm asking you, would you forgive me? I need your grace. And everything I've done to try to earn it has turned to frustration. And I get that now. So, I just surrender to you. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.